Father God, we thank you so much for your word and we pray this morning that as we spend time together looking at this bit of Galatians, that you would speak to us, that we might be encouraged to follow you, to love you more dearly, to live wholeheartedly for Jesus. Amen. And I apologise in advance if I get this name wrong, but um, Guan Zhen Chen. Have we got the uh, Chen Chen? Have we got the picture out there? So this young girl from China was 17 when she won the Olympic gold medal for the balance beam. And I don't know if you ever watched the balance beam, but it makes me go very tense because I'm constantly thinking that they're all going to fall off. And as she steps and tumbles across that beam, it takes your breath away to watch. And I often think there might be some sort of accident or she's just so young and so vulnerable and they look so frail and yet uh, she doesn't fall. And the vital thing for those who tread the beam is that they keep their eyes fixed on what's ahead of them. They don't get distracted or look down because if they do, then the wobbles come or worse, they will fall off. And in this second chapter of Galatians, Paul addresses a problem. You see, Peter has taken his eyes off the sufficiency of the gospel to save him from sin and he's allowed himself to be led astray by this group called the Judaizers. These guys are Jewish Christians who still care Jewish traditions and customs like circumcision and food laws. And they were thinking that they still needed to keep those in order to be saved and to be truly Christians. Peter, a bit like this wobbly gymnast, has forgotten to keep his eyes fixed on Jesus alone. And he's distracted and he's in danger of falling off the beam. And Paul is really concerned. I'm going to read verses 14 to 16 again. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, that's Peter, in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force, how is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So Paul is really concerned that Peter and the other Jews um, who've joined him, they're not acting in line or in other versions it says in step. Can we have the next slide, Andy? Is that okay? Yeah, great. They're not acting in line or in step with the truth of the gospel. And he goes on in verses 15 and 16 just to explain what that means. You see, if Peter was about walking straight in the truth of the gospel, then he'd remember that nothing else could save him except trusting Jesus and Jesus alone. And as a Jew, Peter understood the many laws that Israel lived by in order to be right with God. There were things he couldn't touch, he couldn't eat, he couldn't wear, or that they would be considered unclean. And there were people that they couldn't associate with for the same reason. And when Peter was drawn back to this Judaism group, he was no longer acting in line, in step with the truth of the gospel, but instead distracted and relying on those laws that he thought would save them. 
And Paul reminds him that the only way to be justified or to be made right with God is to walk straight, to walk straight in the truth and have faith in Jesus alone. Jesus is the only one who kept God's perfect law. He's the only one who is perfectly clean. Therefore, he's the only one that can wash us clean to make us acceptable to God, Jew and Gentile alike, all people. And when he died in our place, it's just as if we've never sinned. All my sin, all our sin was placed on Jesus. And all his righteousness and perfection and purity and right relation with God is placed on me. And trying to obey laws cannot do that. So Paul's concern leads to some frank talking with Peter. He says, when, when Cephas, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. You see, Peter is behaving like a hypocrite. He used to eat with the Gentile Christians, recognizing the freedom the gospel brings and bringing all who trust Jesus together even when they're not circumcised. But when this particular group of Jewish Christians turn up, he becomes fearful. He begins to separate himself from those he once used to hang out with, worrying again about food laws and being approved of. And he lets pleasing this group of people become more important than pleasing Jesus. So what's Peter's problem? Well, I think it, it seems that he hasn't really grasped the depth of the gospel in his life. It doesn't seem to have reached every single area of his heart and transformed him. He's looking down on other believers. He's allowing racial and social prejudice to influence his behavior with others. He's letting the fear of what others think affect his actions. And despite the fact he received a wonderful vision from God, which we can read about in Acts 10, where he's told that God accepts all people, Jew and Gentile alike, and that nothing's impure that God's made clean. He's forgotten this, and he's letting others influence him and drawing him away from Jesus. And you see, this is a danger that we all face. I think we're all tempted to hypocrisy as we seek to blend with the crowd, or we allow others to influence us more easily when we're away from our Christian circles or even our Sunday morning friends. So, so often, the most important thing for human beings and for us is to feel valued, to feel that people like us and accept us or think that we're worth knowing in some way. I watched a YouTube this, clip, this week, YouTube clip this week from a chat show, and it demonstrated this as one celebrity was chatting with the, um, the guy who was heading it up, and he was interrupted by another celebrity who wanted to make sure that everybody knew how popular his concerts were at Wembley. There's the kind of inner, there's all this need to be liked, to be popular, to be successful, to be approved of. And when Peter's confronted again with the believers that still consider these laws to be important, he begins to look down on Gentile Christians and considers them to be less valuable to God than these Jewish Christians. He wants to be liked, accepted. He forgets he's not by, made right by what he's doing, but by what he's received. You see, no one person at St. Swithin's in this church family is more special than any other. 
A Christian from a family of Christians is no more special than a Christian from a family of thieves and murderers. In God's eyes, we are all of value. We have no right to feel superior over other people. The gospel of Jesus says all matter to God, whoever they are, and Paul is quite clear that no one's going to be saved by doing, obeying the law or by their own efforts. No amount of trying to keep moral laws or ceremonial laws is going to make a difference. And Peter needs a change of heart. And for many of us, including me, we need a change of heart too. We're not going to find our value in what we do or looking important. We're not going to find our worth by being really busy in church or the community or by giving lots of money away. We're not going to find our worth in being successful or going to the gym so we can look good. That is a try-harder sort of life that says, sort yourself out, and you might just get there in the end if you're good enough. And that, my friends, is completely exhausting. And to be honest, it's utterly beyond all of us. And we know, and I know, when I look at my heart and my life, and yes, my sin, I'm never going to sort that out by my own efforts. Remember that Jesus said, even murderous thoughts make us murderers. Even adulterous, lustful thoughts make us adulterers. We can't make ourselves right with God. It's absolutely impossible. And when we hear this rebuke of Paul, as Peter did, and the joy of the gospel goes from our head to deep in our hearts, then we will really rejoice in Jesus. Then we will really love one another. Then we will really enjoy the freedom of receiving God's gift of grace, confident that everything has been done by Jesus. And knowing and experiencing the depth of the gospel then leads to radical living. Paul writes, for the, through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. You see, the true Christian is no longer center stage of their own life. Christ is. The true Christian finds their value and worth in Christ, not in their achievements and what they do. The true Christian isn't superior and swayed by every different view that comes, comes their way and seeking to blend with the crowd or please whoever they're in a conversation with at the time. You see, the true Christian lives a radical life that's not about us, but it's entirely about Christ. Because our old lives have died with Christ. And he now lives in us, transforming us to be the men and women of God that he's called us to be. We're united with him. Our lives are bound in his, and they can't be unbound. When God looks at us, he sees Christ. He doesn't see our sin. He sees the righteousness that we receive from him. And as Paul writes, we live by faith, rejoicing that we're loved. And that we've received that gift of grace that was so freely, freely given. I wonder how you would um, respond if Paul made an appointment with you for a chat. I think Peter took his rebuke pretty well. We certainly don't read that he went off in a huff. I wonder how you or I would respond. I think I'd be quivering. Will we squirm? As we think about the ways in which we're still tempted to earn God's favour and yet refuse to let Jesus into the depths of our hearts. Would we feel uncomfortable 
if Paul challenged our motives for coming to church or Bible reading or being on the PCC or on the prayer team? Would we feel awkward if he challenged our, our tendency to be territorial about where we sit or choosy about who we talk to? Or would we humbly come before him and would we admit before Paul, before God, when we're bad-tempered or stroppy, lazy or gossipy? Would we confess that we lack self-control and that there's nothing we can do about our own sinfulness and failings? Are we going to be prepared to admit when we make mistakes and cock it up? Have we asked God to embed that beautiful gospel of his deep into our hearts, transforming our lives in every way, in the way that we think, speak and act, in our attitudes to others, in the way we live out our faith? When we do that, I feel for myself, when I do that, I'm going to live and rejoice much more freely and live a more beautiful life. You see, the Olympic gymnast who steps across that narrow beam keeps their eyes in front of them. But you see, even they can lose their balance and fall off. And Peter was well known for falling off his beam, for getting things wrong, for taking his eyes off Jesus and I don't know about you, but I am too, often. The question is, am I just going to try and work that little bit harder, feel the guilt and try and get back on that beam all by myself and get fed up and bitter and it's all a cycle of yeah? Or am I going to choose to trust Jesus, to give him my failure? And even when I climb back onto that beam, am I going to step into the truth again of the gospel, fix my eyes in front of me, and keep going step by step. Peter was in danger of thinking that his belief in Christ meant that he needed to obey first in order to then be saved. Paul knew that his belief in Christ meant that he was saved full stop. And consequently, he obeyed his Savior because he already knew he was loved and saved. His relationship with God had set him free and it was a free gift to him that no one could take away. And so he lived in freedom. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for Jesus, for the freedom of the beautiful, beautiful gospel, of your grace, of your saving power in Jesus. And we know, Lord, that we get that wrong so often. We fall off that beam, we think we can do it ourselves, and yet we need your help to keep walking in a straight line, to keep our eyes fixed on you, to be reminded that we are saved by you alone. Would you please help us by the power of your Spirit? In the name of Jesus. Amen.